What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 23 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, and as ever, I am joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I'm absolutely fantastic, mate. I can't wait to get this going. How has your last couple of weeks been, Sam, since we did this? Um, I've been okay. Back to work, aren't I now? So it's really into the swing of things um, at work. So it's assessments, mock exam preparation... All the sort of boring teachery stuff. Um, outside of that, been to a couple of gigs, been out a few times. Um, watching the Joker next week should be exciting or later this week. I don't know. Um, so yeah, you know what? All, all around things are things are alright, mate. How about you? Mate, I fell asleep on a train the other day. Did I tell you about this? No. <laughs> mate, I, I, it was when it was last Wednesday. I was um, in a, like a managers meeting in Derby, and then. Man, I had to be up so early for it. I had to leave my house at, like, 20 to 7, which is really early for me. And then, yeah. like, the day was added to in terms of length by some of the people that were there that I, I think, in hindsight, I, I considered getting a Kalashnikov, 200 rounds of ammunition. <laughs> and oh, was it one of those people that asked questions during meetings that could be asked privately? Oh, mate, yeah. I hate, was, I hate I, that. Uh, I, I was just sitting there thinking like there, there was a couple of topics that they spoke about for like 30 minutes that really could have the two and a half minutes would have been necessary but they yes. went on and on about this fucking bullshit and I was like god this is really winding me up and then like, but I, it, like for some reason me squashing my agonising anger's thoughts and knackered me out <laughs> so <laughs> that was a Herculean effort in itself mate, like. mate when I was on the train on the way back I was like I'm really tired here. Flicking through, like, Spotify, changing songs, and I started an album, and I got, like, tapped on the shoulder by this guy who was sat next to me, who, luckily, was getting off a of Birmingham New Street where I also needed to get off. Um, yeah. And I was like, holy shit, I'm in, like, the end of the, like, the, end of the album. And I was like, I was like, wow. mate, I was like, mate, he was like, oh, I need to get off here. I was like, where are we? And he was like, Bergam News. I was like, mate, I'm so glad you're there. I would have just been... I was gone, mate. I'd have woke where, up in where was Where was the train due to go to? York. Where would it... York? Y- yeah, just so far from home. Can you imagine if you woke up in York at like <laughs> nine o'clock in the evening? Three <laughs> albums later, dribble down your chin. <laughs> mate, I was absolutely gone, mate. I'm surprised I didn't tell you this. I thought I'd mention it to you when I saw you on Saturday, but yeah. That's... Um, absolutely extraordinary but other than that mate the reason why I asked you about how your week's been is because you seeing SNM2 with me and us both watching Kill Switch on Saturday links perfectly into what we're going to be discussing on this episode so we've got reviews Marvelous. on as I mentioned SNM2 uh, Kill Switch goes you both saw them on Saturday and then album reviews this episode come from The Sea of Tragic Beats by Fit for an Autopsy and All Hail uh, by Norma Jean you can find this podcast fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And if you are listening through Apple Music or Google Podcasts, it would be absolutely wicked if you could leave us the old uh, five-star rating. On noise.co.uk, at the moment, we've got um, reviews up on... We've got one coming from Shapes and uh, Rings of Saturn's album, Gidding, which is a deathcore banger for you all. Now... While we are on the subject of what's coming up on the show, um, Sam, we have some plans for the Noise Podcast around Christmas time, don't we? 
Yes, we do. Talk to us about it. So, we will be doing an album of the year show, but we are going to film it. So, uh, if you are yet to see just how uh, terrible looking me and Sam are... <laughs> yeah, it's decrepitly ugly. <laughs> you'll see it uh, this Christmas. So, how it's going to work is usually um, in the podcast that me and Sam did previously, we take Christmas off. Mostly because December is incredibly, incredibly quiet for album releases. There's the odd one dropped here and there, but in terms of having enough of it to talk about for an actual hour and a half, two hours, it's really slim pickings. So instead of just trying to pick out albums that we don't really care about or don't really mean much to anyone and trying to force ourselves to talk about them, instead we just have Christmas off. And then we come back fresh at it in the new year. So we will do, we'll keep doing the fortnightly episodes. But on December the 7th, we're going to film the Album of the Year podcast. And the Album of the Year podcast will then be released just towards uh, the end of the year itself. Now, also, we have got a new quote-unquote series of podcasts starting, which was inspired by my chat a few weeks ago with Joe Nan from Nuclear Blast. And they are going to be called Chris Meets. Going to start off with Jack Holloway, who is the owner of Noise. Those who've listened to the show might already be aware that Sam knows Jack uh, very well. You've known Jack for seven years? Uh, Eight. Eight. At this point now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As many as eight. God, we're old. Um, Yeah, terrifyingly so. So what we're going to do, Jack is the owner of Noise, and he will also be a guest on the Album of the Year podcast. So... This Chris Meets is basically me meeting someone that's a part of the music industry. I'm not really comfortable with saying that about ourselves, that we're part of the music industry, but I guess theoretically we are, um, and discussing them, uh, their backstory, how they got into music, what they love about it, etc. So we're going to start off uh, with Jack, but eventually we're going to uh, broaden the spectrum and get as many people doing this as possible. We will eventually do one where Sam meets Chris and I meet Sam, which will be cool. But that one we're going to put on ice for a while, but eventually we will get there. And on the episode where I meet Jack, uh, you, Sam, are going to be featuring on it. Um, the reason why you're not going to do the actual episode is because you already know the answers to most of what Jack's going to say. Whereas, yes. obviously, obviously, for me, it'll be like a real expose for me. However... As I've mentioned to you, uh, you will be coming in at the point where Jack goes to uni. And I'm really excited about getting to that part because I, I'm really looking forward to like the stories, how you met and all that kind of stuff. Because I don't know it. Like, I've met Jack several times, but in terms of like sitting down with him and talking to him for two hours about his life, it's good, all going to be news to me. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's exciting, man. I think that's a really cool idea as well. Be looking forward to being part of it. So yeah, uh, we're going to keep cracking on with a fortnightly podcast and maybe the occasional one weekly podcast when a big album comes out. But towards the end of the year, we've got album of the year stuff and uh, the Chris Meat stuff. So I hope you're all looking forward to that. Um, in terms of news, so let's get going on the show. There's not a lot that I wanted to talk about, Sam, but there is one specific thing that I do think we might spend a while chatting about. Um, you've heard the new Machine Head song. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Right. Yes, I have. But have you seen Rob Flynn's social media of late? Um, I've seen some of I've seen some of the highlights, but why don't you run me through? Did you see the spat that uh, they had with Dope? Yeah, I saw the highlights of that too. Yeah, um, man, this is um. This is a weird one, isn't it? So basically, uh, Machine Head have got this new song called Do or Die. And we'll go into whether we like the song or not in a moment. But (laughs) 
basically, Rob Flynn put this uh, Instagram post out. And I'll just take out, like, parts that I think are relevant. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it did go on for quite a while. Uh, so this is uh, taken from Rob uh, Flynn's post on Instagram. To all the bitch-ass internet troll motherfuckers who keep whining and menstruating about how Do or Die has lyric from the band Dope, here's a little fucking reminder for your moronic new metal brains. Since 1993, in our song Fuck It All, I've been saying, come on, motherfucker, come on, in the middle in um, in the middle breakdown. It was a good seven years before Dope's 2001, Dope 2001's Die Motherfucker Die came out, you fucking sausage gobblers. Wow. Um, yeah, um... So basically, the post just goes on and on and on about how people are knobs and all this kind of stuff, and it's got they've not ripped anyone off. And the basically the the final part of the post was, "P.S. Who the fuck listens to dope?" A bit of a shot across the bow, I suppose. I don't really know what dope ever did to Rob Flynn. Um, and then, weirdly, the day after, or maybe like two days after, uh, the dope vocalist Esdell Dope. Um, basically did this post back and he said yesterday Rob Flynn took to Instagram to publicly ask the question who the fuck listens to dope then today he fired another shot at our band by posting a photo of himself posing with a fan who was wearing a dope shirt with an unflattering caption as a grown ass man I feel slightly obligated to acknowledge these two separate shots truth is I like Machine Head killer band big fucking draw if the two bands ever share the stage again dope would undoubtedly go on before machine head much respect but that's not the question the question was who the fuck listens to dope well rob <laughs> with spotify being the place where the majority of the listeners go to these days the answer to your question is actually quantifiable check it out dope monthly listens on spotify 1,238,355 Machine Head monthly listens on Spotify, 1,208,667. Pretty fucking close, brother. Only about 30,000 plays separate our two bands from month to month. So it's quite fair to say that a lot of, quote, motherfuckers are listening to both Machine Head and Dope on Spotify. Slightly, slightly more for Dope, but I digress. I like that you put that in. Mm. Um, again, so, again, there's more. It, it did go on for more, but that is pretty much it in a nutshell. Rob then comes back again the next day and puts a bit more of a um, a bridge-building post saying that he's got a lot of respect for Dope and they've had loads of crazy times together. And he's like, I guess, actually, there are a lot of people still listening to Dope. Good for you. I'm happy for you. All this kind of stuff. So moving forward past that, just so I don't want to start, uh, spend 10 minutes just quoting. What do you think of this? I, I can't believe this is between two fully grown men. This is the, it's the fucking saddest, most teenage bout I've ever seen. Like, what was the first line of his Instagram post we calls him out? Was it, listen up, you bitch-ass? To all the bitch-ass internet troll motherfuckers. Bitch-ass internet troll motherfuckers. Uh, Rob Flynn's in his late 40s at best here, and... It just seems it just seems really really unbecoming of any of these two bands, and especially like Rob Flynn is the frontman of a very successful band, and Dope are less successful. This did don't feud downwards, you know. Yeah, don't yeah. don't don't feud downwards. Like 
there's there's nothing there's nothing that Rob Flynn can gain from from playing this game here apart from what he looks like now, which is a bit of a pretentious dickhead. He's had to like cover himself up. And Rob Flynn at times I think has said some stupid stuff, but on the big stuff he's he's been quite right. I remember him tearing apart Phil Anselmo. Um, yeah, mem- I remember that. Great. Right. Right. And I and I remember thinking how brave it was considering Phil Anselmo was like a big, you know, influence like Pantera a big influence on machine and all that sort of stuff. And I remember thinking, you know what, fair play for having the stones to to go after someone that you thought was a hero and now he's clearly like a racist and stuff. So I'm 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 usually pro Rob Flynn speaking about anything, but just this seems really unnecessary. And man, like the crux of the argument is that some Instagram people said, Oh yeah, you took this line from a dope song that came out fifteen or twenty years ago. So therefore it's shit. Um well no, actually, um people have probably used motherfucker as a version of um a version of lyricism in lots of metal songs. And actually it's 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 perfectly shit um without the derivation from dope really. <laughs> I think it's it's pretty it's pretty rubbish in its own right. Um, without needing to be a rope, uh, dope ripoff. Um, I think music is pretty good, by the way. But um, yeah, I just I I I hope Rob Flynn has more to do with his time than than pick on um, no longer relevant me- uh, new metal bands and internet trolls. It just seems like something that a near fifty year old man shouldn't be upset about anymore. Is there any chance that Rob Flynn is just playing up to the stereotype of? Big big metal band frontman equals he must be a loudmouth. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's do. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the feeling. He's, he's, sometimes he's, it's the person that's shouting. The, sometimes it's just the person that's shouting the loudest, though, isn't it? That gets the most attention. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's doing anything ironically. You know, I don't think. Oh, I'm going to subvert the, the stereotypical norm here and. Blair, blah, 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 blah. I think, I think he's just got a short temper, and I think he's easy to bait. That's the impression I get. Dave Mustaine does it as well, and it's it's really unnecessary. <laughs> like he, pe- people are like, it's like people like tweeting, being like, "Yeah, Metallica are better than Megadeth," and he retweets it and shares it and puts something like, "Well, actually, Tonto seventy three, I wrote." mechanics and half of call of cthulhu it's like david yeah what why are you doing this like you you're the lead guitarist frontman of one of the biggest metal bands ever and this is like a 19 year old in like albuquerque leave leave him alone like do you know what i mean it just it doesn't the famous person never comes off well here unless they're like really sarcastic i don't know i just it just seems really petty what do you think it does seem pretty petty I think, more than anything else, this is just a moment in time being captured where Rob Flynn is trying to be the loudest voice in the room, like I said, calling people out for saying that they've ripped off another band in terms of the lyricism. And he's been caught caught with an iron bar, really, in the sense of, like, obviously, Dope's been like, for a laugh, let's just see how many listeners are difference between us. And be like, oh, shit, we got more? Like, we're going to have to post about it now. On, is that on that one song though? No, That's no, monthly listen, monthly listeners on Spotify. You know when you go on Spotify oh. and you go oh, to yeah. and you go to an artist, it'll say how many people have listened this month, um, and Dope had more <laughs> than Machine Head. 
That that's that's a massive F, which is funny, isn't it? And, and like I think like Dope, I think um, Die Motherfucker Die um, from Dope had like sixty million streams or something like that, which is much more than any Machine Head, any any single Machine Head song has ever streamed on Spotify anyway. Uh, again, which is just you know it's interesting um, and it's funny as well because obviously Rob Flynn's been caught. Uh, in the cold quite badly here but i think you can just chalk this all the way down to charismatic loudmouth uh, frontman having having a loudmouth uh, opinion that adds the stereotype of yeah i don't care i'll write what i want to write because it's me and i can write what i want to write and right, I, motherfucker, right, motherfucker, right. yeah and i think that's all this is it, it's you can look back on it um satirically now but I don't think there's anything to be told here in a sense of has Rob all of, a, could all of a sudden become someone who has no appreciation for bands that are, aren't the size of his. Um, although maybe you could link this together with the fact that Machine Head don't play with support bands now. If you wanted to really, if you wanted to really, really look into it, is this like an example of well, they don't play with support bands, and now he's calling out bands that he, he doesn't think are as big as his now. So maybe Rob Flynn doesn't care about other bands anymore, which is I don't think is true. I'm just saying if you wanted to really, really try and put two and two together, and you then probably end up getting five. Maybe people <laughs> people will come to that um, come to that decision. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's anything. On I don't think there's anything to this more than two guys. Uh, in a social media spat, which is the norm these days, but obviously yeah. Rob Flynn just trying to be the um, the biggest man in the room. And you know what, mate? Like keeping his keeping the band relevant. I, I would be, I would like to take a bet that more people have clicked on this news story than yeah, than, and the, than, yeah. than would have listened to Do or Die beforehand. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Can you? Can you... Can you picture it? It's like twenty thirty-five, and a sixty-five-year-old Rob Flynn has to play download festival slots. It's six hours long because of all the bands that he's pissed off, <laughs> and he's just sort of tiredly playing every song Machine Head have ever done because he's uh, successfully alienated every other new metal band. Taken over the um, but... role. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's if it, if it's if it's a PR move, then these things always work. Uh, do or die the song, Sam. You don't seem like you're massive on it. Um, it's sick riffs. Yeah, it's it's a Ferrari being driven by a toddler. Um, it's 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 a it's a it's a beautiful engine of a song, but the 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 lyrics over the top are are, are cringy as fuck. I mean, they um, are. But the, 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 it's it, it, it's but as well, I'm tempered by the fact that um, is there anybody out there was utter tin, and then um, catharsis was decent, and is anybody out there was nowhere near it. Um, so it might have just been a throwaway track, in which case I'm going to treat it as such until I'm proved otherwise. Nice riffs, though. Rob Flynn's a great guitarist, you know, it's hardly a newsflash. Um, and these, the Machine Head, the Machine Head sound is still very much intact. So optimistic as ever for new Machine Head music, but um, I don't think Rob Flynn should be calling out anybody for word choices um, really at any point now. I do agree. Mate, uh, SNM2, um, for those who are unaware, in 1999, uh, Metallica did a, a one-off show with the San Francisco Symphony. It was amazing. Uh, I, I haven't, I've never actually listened to the album in full, but I've listened to large segments of it. And it was... A lot of bands have done it since, 
done something or at least tried something similar, but not nothing quite um, recreating the magic of of that night. It was really really special. You, the way that orchestra symphony changed up some of the classic Metallica songs, um, really special. So twenty years on, they do a show to open up a new arena in San Francisco, of which the name of it has actually uh, escaped me. Um, but they've got the, the San Francisco Symphony with them again. Um, you have listened to SNM, the first one in full, several times. So I'll let you yes. be the one. That I'll, I'll let be. Let, I will let you be the one that picks apart the shows in terms of uh, one versus one comparisons. But let's just start with a more general overview. And I, and I thought this was amazing. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I, no surprises that I enjoyed the latest um, Metallica concert output. Um, but yeah, I thought this was tremendous, and another example of of the of the pair of Metallica number one to be able to do this, um, and then do this again, um, and make the two things seem different enough to feel like individual events in themselves, and also how is one of metal's most experienced band, also the band that seems to be doing more new things than every other metal band combined, astonishes me. No. I thought this was just echoing your sentiments. Like, Metallica are still out there being game changers for metal, and it's just amazing. And you saw that announcement they were, they're going to play uh, two sets at, like, five festivals this summer. It's astonishing. They are still out there carving their own path of metal this late in the game after already basically being anointed as the biggest heavy metal band of all of all time most successful um most adored in some areas i suppose that's arguable but the in terms of the figures of biggest heavy metal band of all time i don't really think there's anyone out there that's going to try and call me out on that one um and that they're still they're still doing things differently i mean there was some surprises thrown in there mate unforgiven three how brilliant was that incredible seeing seeing incredible. james hetfield just standing a, a microphone singing on his own yeah, well, his hands were twitching because he didn't know what to do with them. I mean, that was funny, but like, dude, I, I know you mentioned to me that like the last time he didn't have a rhythm guitar with him was when he burnt his arm off in like the early nineties. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, see, seeing that was like literally that's what a spectacle that is. Like seeing just James at a microphone. I mean, that yeah. was such a foreign sight, wasn't it? But what yeah, great I, was I, he? I completely agree. It really, really worked. Even the the choice itself of being able to select a song like that, which is a throwaway album track really in the grand scheme of things and it's the third version of of the unforgiven to choose that one as a way to completely reinvent their own stuff shows that um shows the complexity and the variation the metallic the versatility that they can display i mean there were lots of hits that left on the table here yeah. there were lots of songs that you you thought in your head or i imagine that would work like, I've been crying out for Fade to Black in any term, <laughs> in any version <laughs> of them for, forever. But it's a song that I would have thought would have been incredible. Welcome Home Sanitarium, I thought would have worked as well. Lots of these massive old school hits. A Harvester of Sorrow, I thought could have been class. Um, but I didn't, I didn't watch it having any complaints over the set list. I, I just enjoyed a band being able to be so introspective, uh, able to be so... Um, bold, and I know Metallica have transcended uh, any reasonable expectations of what any band can do at any time. They literally can do what they want, and they've got such an audience that any decision 
will probably not result in anything other than a profit or anything other than a, a success among its hardcore fan base. I mean, I, they could literally do whatever they like. Um, but to even to know that and to still do this sort of stuff, I think is incredible because bands of this success don't tend to do any more than they have to anymore. Um, if you think of Metallica's contemporaries, and I don't mean in metal because Metallica have transcended metal. Um, they're actually the biggest touring band of the last 18 months. So they're bigger than, you know, you two, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the contemporaries. Um, so you look at other massive bands of this ilk, you, you think of you two, you think of Mumford and Sons, maybe Arctic Monkeys. Um, and then obviously singer songwriters like, you know, Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and maybe Ed Sheeran. That, that's the, that's the world that they're in as a touring force. Beyonce. Um, jay-z those sort of guys i would i would be and i think ed sheeran's the sort of uh, person that would do this like you eat the orchestra and, and the whole the, the right the sort of bravery that he has with his own songwriting but you wake me up when you see beyonce um picking a set list that has 20 songs 12 of which are from like dark recesses of what they've written with an orchestra opening it up this way and, and, and stuff you just i don't i you just wouldn't see it. And and I think for those who would turn around and say, well, yeah, but Beyonce's not in a metal band, I actually think pop music will probably lend itself a little bit more to a cello than your average metal song would. It's just that Metallica are an incredibly creative group of people. Um, I just, it, 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 is, it, it is as objective as I'm trying to be. Uh, it is incredible that a band of this size are continually looking, to, looking for ways to reinvent the wheel a wheel of which they probably invented themselves that they reinvented from whatever it was before it was the wheel. And it, it, it is, it is just marvelous to see to the point where Metallica, like, like we said before, they're, they're a brand more than anything else. Now they're the, you know, they've transcended the sport, the culture, they're the Michael Jordan of, 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 of metal music. And they're just going to hang us over as like a shadow over anything that follows. But for them to be able to do this a second time, 20 years down the line, and then to be able to do this festival thing with two set lists. And it's like they're, they're not just ticking off every bucket list of every other band. It's like they're creating their own separate lists. But, yeah, as even as a product itself, as picking apart the set list and things like that, I thought they beautifully blurred the line and found the balance between hardcore fandom and... If you've never seen Metallica live and you went to this in the cinema, you'd still enjoy it um, because they they seem to serve the fan for like the first hour and a half. The nods to the previous 99 stuff with Call of Cthulhu opening and the, the way that it just leads straight into Finn the Beltos in a similar way that Call of Cthulhu went to Master Puppets in the first one. The tribute to Robert Kamen, who obviously had died in between 99 and 2019, hence the... Hence the replacement um, uh, orchestra um, conductor. Uh, the, the nod to Cliff Burton. Yeah, anesthesia uh, was great. Anesthesia. Uh, getting a, a, a bassist, an actual bassist, not just, just to do a version of it, to actually play the lines and play along with Lars and stuff. That could have been... That could have put a picture in the back of Fearing the Beltals for Cliff Burton, yeah. if they wanted to. Um, but they, they really went out of their way to show a tribute to this, which I think was really, really nice. You know, he's he's... he's, he's you know, it's, it's a very long time since he actually passed away, so most fans would have forgotten that sort of thing by now. So it, 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 there was lots of nods there, but then 
as as we've often said to each other, there was a point after from wherever am I wrong onwards. It's just uh, that can just flick into a gear at any time that yeah. not many bands have got. And I was listening to a podcast review of it with a sports fan, and he just went because it was like he was in the, he was in the the city, and his kid was his kids a fan. Imagine and being able to do that. I'll just go. It, yeah, um, and he t- I saw an Instagram video, and he's like three feet away from James Hetfield because, of course, he was able to buy front row seats. Um, he was like a he's like a famous sports podcaster and writer and stuff, so he just had the connection. But he was he said he was talking to um, one of the LA dignitaries because obviously there's still corporate seats, and this bloke who was like a record label producer in like a hip hop record label, and he was talking to him and he was saying like. Metallica or Eternal, and he was like, "What do you mean?" And he was like, "Well, every ten years, some thirteen-year-old who's angry at his parents discovers these band, this band, and yeah, and and this this that as a result, there will be fifteen-year-old kids who are learning to play guitar who will chuck on Master of Puppets and try and learn the songs and headbang along and and do you know what I mean? And watch and discover the videos for the first time because that they're eternal, they're universal." Because they are, and 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 I think and I think that really struck a chord in terms of what I was thinking about them, because they've proved they've proven that. And when they hit into that gear, to go from one into Master of Puppets, nothing else matters, into Sandman, and wherever I may roam, um, just a plethora of some of the all-time great hits. I mean, Sad but True wasn't on this. I didn't miss it. No. Um, Battery was absolutely brilliant in '99. I didn't pine for that. There was no Creeping Death, no Fight to Black. I was. Do you know what I mean? There was there was there was lots of stuff here from a big big Metallica standpoint that, that that weren't that weren't making appearances that I thought didn't detract from the overall experience. So hats off to them. Another success, and I'm not saying that Metallica's entire career has been wildly successful from start to finish because, to be frank, it absolutely hasn't. But they've hit more times than they've missed, and I think this is another another one time when they've got it right. So. Custian Gage, mate. We saw yes. them on Saturday. They were at uh, the O2 Academy in Birmingham. And I'll just cast us back a little bit to when we actually got the tickets. Because it was around about the time they'd released a couple of the songs off the new album, I think. Or, or, or maybe the album was actually out at the time when the tickets came. I can't pronounce that. I can't remember. But I'd, what I do remember is I had to convince you a little bit. Um to come yeah because because we saw them support bullet at the auto academy we loved it and then we saw them support the artist murder at alexandra palace and we were like it was all right i was like it was all right wasn't it we were like yeah i was like i was like "Mm." you know that lineup of the artist murder kilshin gage parkway drive you'd think oh my god this will be the greatest three hours like on earth Uh, but there was something off for Kelsey on that night for me. I, I just didn't feel the the intensity. I don't know whether don't know whether the, some of the sound was lost in the room or because the size of it or something like that. But yeah, there was it just felt some, like going through the motions, gig, didn't it? There was something missing for me. Then obviously this new album came out, and me and you were like, "It's a bit boring, isn't it?" And like in the, you, we was like, basically our review in a sentence was, "When it's great, it's great." But that's only for a couple of songs. Other than that, this is like quite morose and boring. Um, so I was like, listen, man, if they play five songs off the new album, a couple off Incarnate and a couple off Disarm the Descent, 
they will then have the room for five or six classics. And I was like, you're going to want to be there for that. And you're like, you know what, mate? I am going to want to be there for it. That's fine. Let's get the tickets. Um, so I, I think that we went in there and I was standing on a Saturday night. I was thinking... God, I, I hope this, you know, because this is like a perfect setting for Killswitch now because it's a headline gig that's sold out. It's going to be about 2,000 people and they're perfect size for a metal band of Killswitch's style. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really hope this isn't a dud <laughs> because if this is a dud, I'll be like convinced that the band are pretty much on their, on their way out now. Um, but mate, what a signal, no pun intended, that Killswitch Engage are still alive and well. New album, not so great. This show, mate absolutely superb completely agreed um this felt like um a renaissance the kill switch yeah um the new songs the signal fire sounded great live by the way yes it did uh yes it did good great Um, reception as well yeah yeah all, all all of all of the all of the new songs came across really really well um jesse's voice can we talk about jesse's voice please jesse sounded absolutely tremendous uh, noticeably better yeah 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 he sounded he, excellent now remind me did he do the thigh art gig right and then tag that break from social media he did yeah i think so I in think that so. order oh mate um i'm gonna say i'm 60 percent sure he did all right for, my, for the point of my argument i'm gonna assume that he did <laughs> <laughs> um because if he's taken a break away and maybe he's just chilled and focused on himself and maybe maybe it's worked for him um maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable in the band um i think i think i think he, he, he's the best he sounded yeah. um, i think you could you, you'd watch you'd watch that kill switch gig didn't miss howard and the last two times we've seen kill switch you've tapped me on the shoulder and said i miss howard a bit yeah, I do. I had. Uh, I, 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 and I do too. Uh, just, but I think now, as a result of that, I miss Howard out of nostalgia for the time that Howard was in Killswitch. Maybe as a time it was in general, rather than specifically for him. Yeah. Because I think I think Jesse's, it seems at the moment, just as good a vocalist, and especially live. Um, they're a he perfect. Was pitch they're, perfect. They're a fa- yeah, they're a facsimile of each other. Um, the band band were incredible um uh also i've not been to a gig that intense and i've been to several gigs that are very intense but what i mean is um where i've paid as little attention as i did on saturday night to what the band was doing yeah Um, yeah, i I know what you mean because because the crowd um the crowd carried carried that performance and it I think at their best, that's that, that's Killswitch's skill, is that me, you, and I think large portions of the metal media, which I guess we are now part of, look at Killswitch through the um, through the metal looking glass, and really the reaction that they actually emit from their crowd is like a hard rock gig. Um, obviously there are pits. Yeah, obviously there are pits, and uh, my ears and arms will attest to both of those things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I was thrust like a rhino uh, in, in, in it halfway through I think it was just like a blur uh, but it was it was just the, the connection between the band and the crowd was so large in terms of the chorus styles and the power and the vocal stuff that was going on I didn't even have time to sit down and or even focus on 
some of the guitar work. It it was like a two thousand two thousand man karaoke set. And yeah. I've never I've never really seen that in a metal gig. Um and you forget, man, how how, how much power kills which his songs have. Yeah. They're really, really, really massive and it, it carried over really well. It was the perfect gig for them. I said to you, mate, that run of my curse, this is absolutely an end of heartache. Jesse didn't need to be on stage. No, he could have he could have took a, a, a 10, 12 minute break and he, you wouldn't have known there wasn't a vocalist because the the crowd, as as you mentioned, was so loud. And and Kilsich do emit a lot of emotion from their crowds. And I think that's because they define mid two thousands metalcore, don't they? Yes. They, they they are it. They they are the band that if you look back and you think, I can't believe this band weren't arena selling absolute monsters. Me personally, Killswitch and Band Killswitch are the, are the first band that I'd look back at and be like, Can't believe you you don't sell tw- you didn't get to the point where you're selling twenty thousand uh seat arenas out. Um because the, because the, that that run of Alive or Just Breathing end of heartache as daylight dies three just absurdly brilliant albums and i think if they could have just followed it up with one more what one more absolute gem and i think the story could be different for them however that's not the point here my, my point here is this band have still absolutely got it live adam d mate what 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 a, what, what a phenomenon he is what more can be said about about that the man that can play Kill switch riffs while spinning around like a ballerina. He is, that like, he's got such a level of like charisma about him that I, I've never seen a guitarist in a metal band have. Um, a, another example of Kill switch could play without a frontman because they've got Adam to to g up the crowd, have a laugh. I I, I couldn't have but laugh when he was like, like, it's like, who have you bought the new record and like, you know. 30% of the audience put their hands up he's like you're fucking liars like mm. there's no way and he's like apart from that guy there who's literally holding the album <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was awesome um, but he's like an enigmatic figure in itself and then you've got like the, like the actual pair of the songs like, like they played My Last Serenade fourth and mate that elicits, that elicits such a reaction from the crowd then, then straight into a big farewell a rouse of Sharon oh man it, it was such a you know, they, they didn't play This Fire, which is my favourite Killswitch song. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be a case for me, like, with you and Fight to Black and Metallica. I've just accepted I don't think I'm ever going to see it. Um, but I didn't particularly... Oh. I, I didn't I didn't particularly miss it, like, do you know what I mean? And ending on Holy Diver was really cool, man. Again, the crowd was so, was so into it. And it was, it was really brilliant to see a band that had been around for, like, what, 25 years? Well, actually, yeah, 20, about, like, 25 years-ish. And they're still they're still bringing that same kind of fever pitch atmosphere. Like now, the next time we see Colson Gage headline a show, which will probably be about another two or three years, the next time we'll be, we'll be talking about, we'll be hoping, God, I hope the atmosphere in here is as special as it was two or three years ago. Because as many metal shows as, we, as we've been to, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've been in many that have carried an atmosphere with it like that. No, I felt like no, we're really, we're really a part of something, and like a, a, a resurgence of Kill Switch's adoration. It was really, really. I mean, I, I had a, the the best time. So great. Yeah, it was definitely a reclamation gig for me. I, I completely agree. 
And while I completely agree again that I think Killswitch are clearly capable of playing in a, a, a should be capable of playing in a bigger set, this is perfect for them. Yeah. Like so this, was the, this was the, this was the level that they needed to play at because it was it was number one rammed and yeah. you can't replicate that sort of intensity if you're playing like ten thousand fifteen thousand seaters and eighty percent of the people are, are there um, and I think it just it lended itself to the atmosphere where it was it was brilliant and also Killswitch I haven't I haven't ever seen Killswitch on their own tour. Um, I've not even known that it's happened and I've been going to metal gigs for 13 years and they've never toured on their own in this country. I don't think during that period of time, at least not since maybe as daylight dies in 2007 when I might've been, it would have been, might've been a bit too early for me. I think they did one with Trivium about six years ago. I think. It was like a joint headline. I think if I remember correctly. Okay. Well then, yeah. So that that and the obviously the bullet one, but that even then they were a support band. So I've I've never seen a gig, uh, I've not seen many gig opportunities like that, which just them on their own, just for Killswitch fans, um, of which there are loads of clearly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that I think that was I think it was tremendous, it, and it looked like they really enjoyed themselves. No, oh, you could tell the band were were massively into it. Um, has it not that you had completely turned off to Killswitch, but has it relit? A fire in you for Killswitch? Yeah, I would say I would, I would say that it has. I would, I would say that it has. Um, I've been listening I, to it a always, lot since the show. Yeah, I always get that post gig uh, fire in the belly thing. Do yeah, you get that? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to listen. I want to go. You're great. You are. I want to listen to everything you've ever done for the next week and a half. Listen to um, a lot of as a lot of Killswitch yesterday and today. It's hard not to. That's so good. Yeah. Um, and I've I, once again reminded myself. Um. But yeah, I think I think it has, I think it has, and I think what it'll give me is a little bit more patience with their new material, um, because I was very critical of their newest album, in the sense that it felt very third gear. But it didn't take they they came across really well live, and I think if they can keep doing those type of shows for those type of crowds. Then, if the album has two, three decent tunes, then you know they can keep doing this for ten or fifteen if they want to, and I'm okay with that. So, album review time. Sam, we've got two nasty boys uh, this uh, this episode. <laughs> yes, s- we have. We're going to start off with uh, "Fit for an Autopsy," the Sea of Tragic Beasts, out on October 25th via Nuclear Blast Records. Um, so, first thing I want to point out about this, both the albums that we're reviewing today were produced by Will Putney, um, who did Diotti's Murder. He did Not Loose. But he's actually also a member of Fit for an Autopsy. But this is where he gets quite really like, quite unique. He's a member of the band, but he doesn't tour. He, he only, himself. He doesn't, yeah, he's a member of the band. Uh, and he's one of the original members as well, I believe. But he doesn't tour. He only writes now. He used to and tour, then the band go away and tour his music. Uh, the, his guitar lines and stuff, yeah. Um, now, because of how busy he is as a producer, obviously he's weighed he's weighed it up and decided to spend more time put his all of his efforts into producing rather than touring. Um, so that that dynamic 
is very interesting when you think about the fact that Will Putney here has not only got to produce this album, he's got to write the album for himself and also another musician that is going to go and play it. Um, which is a dynamic I don't think I've ever come across in all the time I've been listening to or reviewing music. How about yourself? Anything ring a bell? No, I've never... I've it's never an, known it's it. an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. I've never, I've never known, I've never known a, quite a situation like this. And I mean, even, I, no, no, I, I think this is a, this is a very, very stri- strange individual circumstance where Putney's so much better or more happy to just be like, there you go, lads, have that, and just sort of, just sort of leave, sort of, sort of leave them to it a little bit. I mean, the band don't seem unhappy with this. I've seen the interviews with them and stuff. They seem like the dynamic works for them, but... Do they have uh, a replacement guitarist then? Yes. There, there's another guitarist that, like, is in the studio with him uh, while he while they're, like, arranging the riffs and talking about um, how to write and craft the album, etc. That then goes out and plays. <coughs> Bless me. Um, really interesting. So Really interesting. That adds... A, a new caveat to the album that may not have existed previously, but if we put a pin in that for the moment and just talk about this as a deathcore album, this, I believe, is your first dive into Fit for an Autopsy? Um, to, 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 to this, this extent, e- over 12 this, tracks. This, yeah, to this extent. Um, I believe they released an EP a couple of years ago that I reviewed, or we reviewed. Uh, they are not a new band. They've been around for uh, around about a decade. I first caught on to them, or, or caught wind of them at least, around about 2013, I believe. No, no, 2015, they did an, an album called Absolute Hope, Absolute Hell. And the opening song on, on that album, I remember, was absolutely like like skin removing, um, mm. really heavy, and, and I, I, was, I was really into it. Then they, did, then they did an album in 2017 called The Great Collapse, uh, which I, I was less... I was less big on, but at the time wasn't really paying much attention to them. So for me, this is the first time I've really listened to an album in four that I'm really paying attention to. I've fit for an autopsy in four years. And mm-hmm. I really like this, Sam. I think this is a really, really solid, tight, nasty Deathcore album. Yeah, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, even if he doesn't want to play them, he's very good at writing these yeah. riffs, isn't he, Mr. Putney? He's made uh, the, start uh, of this, the start of this album, the title track, the riff at the start. Yeah, so um, brutal. He's a big fan of the slide in the guitar riff, isn't he? And as um, I'm where he's just sort of yes, or, or also also I, um, where he just has, just lifts his hand up a little bit and moves his fingers along to have that little the little depth to it. Um, what I was impressed with is that, and I, and I found the same with Norma Jean, which we'll talk into, obviously talk talk more to that in a moment. Um, there was some depth to this. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, felt, I felt that uh, obviously the the highlights of the songs are some of the crushing blows that he delivers on a regular basis, um, but I thought there were some some really really nice areas of this. Like for for me, uh, the highlights were Warfare, Birds of Prey, those those two tracks right next to each other. That's were solo. Just, yeah, but just really the just so pummeling. Christ Almighty, and then some of the guitar work in I think it's track number two. No man, yeah, no man is without fear. 
um, should be the next Mortal Kombat soundtrack. <laughs> um, because number one, that's a great fucking line. That's like God hates us all level simplicity, and I, I, I've got a lot of time for that. But the, the the riff at the start of that with the heavy stuff over the top of it, I just absolutely live for. But there's a real attempt at depth here, and I really appreciate that. I don't think the melodic areas are as strong. I think it's clear that that's the band's weakness, or at least not the band's strength. And while I understand what they're trying to do, because you've got to have a little bit of dichotomy, because otherwise it does it does sound one tracked. I don't. I thought it didn't come across as well as intended, and I thought the last track seemed like a throwaway. Like, I know it was melodic, and I know it's one of those, like... And the temptation for loads of bands is to have that last song as, like, a melodic, slow, wind-down, emotional... It's it's a very popular trait. But it just felt like they were trying to fit that stereotype rather than writing a, a particularly great song. I didn't think that worked as well. But I thought, at its core, here, this was a really meaty, nice deathcore album. Um, I heard lots of... Lots of great bands in some of these riffs. And shock horror, it's well produced. Yeah. Um, so I've got no complaints here. I think if you're a fan of Fit for an Autopsy, you're going to be all over this. I don't think they've created many new fans here, but I think this is a very good, solid um, solid release. I prefer This is Human Target by The Artist Murder. I don't think there's a song on this that matches up as well as Make America Hate Again. But as a collective? Yeah, I, th- I think, I think yeah, in terms of consistency, I-, I could probably see it. I was warmer towards Human Target than than you were, I think. Um, but, and I'm, I think CJ tips the scales. Is it fair to say that perhaps the riffs are more consistent on this? But the the seeding of Human Target is better, and CJ is a better vocalist. Well, I think that the solo on Birds of Prey is better than anything on Human Target. Personally. Oh, okay, fair enough. I I, I appreciate it. I'm, all, a, I'm uh, all about that solo. Yeah, it's it's sick. It's sick. Um, but I I I I I like this album, but I don't love it. But the, and there were parts of Thy Art that I loved. I do also appreciate the variations on this album. There's a there's a lot more groove on this than I was expecting. Like the riff, the riff on the main lead riff on Warfare, um, yeah. and also the one in Mirrors as well. More yes. groove, not the more groove than I was expecting. And they blend it in well as well. It doesn't like it doesn't feel like it's there just for the sake of well we don't want to, we don't want the same battering just for forty minutes straight. So we'll just fucking chuck something else in. Um, I actually like um, the more post hardcore element of Napalm Dreams. I, I know that. And you are right. A lot of bands choose the final song to be the the softest touch, just so they can leave it at the end in case you don't like it. It's the last track anyway, so don't worry about it. And you can just claim it was a throwaway. Uh, but I actually, I yeah. actually uh, quite like the the variation there. It's a different touch that you you may not, well, you wouldn't have been expecting when you first pressed play on the Sea of Tragic Beasts in terms of the title track. Um, what, what you, I do agree that. It's the, the, the melodic elements that do get lost a little bit here, and I do think Fit for an Autopsy are at the best when they're just building you up to a, a really fucking bone-shaking breakdown. But as a collective here, this is a really, really tightly knit, solid, and really bruising deathcore album that 
okay, yes, it does stick to deathcore tropes, and this is this is this is not this isn't shadow of intent, you know. This isn't something that plays too much around with the book with the boundaries. However, if it for an autopsy have looked at what they're comfortable with with Will Putney and just pieced together from there in terms of having one staple that will stick in and around this area and then see what else we can do. I think this is a quite a great achievement. I, I'm, I'm very much into this album, so. Yeah, I, I really like it too. I really like it too. Um, it's a collection of, of really great riffs and really terrific um, instrumentation um, and a few really great songs. Main event of the show, Sam. Uh, Norma Jean's new album, All Hail, also out on the 25th of October uh, via Solid State Records. Now, this album is the eighth. It, it, yes, no, it is the eighth album of Norma Jean, but it's actually, I've got to say, the first time I've ever listened to a Norma Jean album. I've always known of their existence, but they're one of those bands. I say this to you all the time. There are so many bands out there that you should listen to that, mate, there's only 24 hours in a day. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so do, do it on with you. They're do one of those bands you. that, like, I know are massively respected and they've got this absolutely, like, rabid, hardcore following that, I mean, they're a band that, if they tour the UK, they'd probably be in the HMV Institute or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but those 500 but people would be beating the shit out that, of those, th- that, that show would sell out and 500, 600 people would turn up and leave and say that was the best gig I've seen all year. Uh, they've got that really like tight knit hardcore following. So I've always known of their existence. And I, to be honest, I always knew that I'd probably like them considering their peers. Um, but this is the first time I've actually ever pressed play on a Norma Jean album. Later on, all the way through, mate, I am a fan of this band. I think this is great, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed this too. And the first surprise while listening to Norma Jean is that they weren't a soulful blues singer like I was expecting based on the name Norma Jean. <laughs> um, easily the most disorientated name from a metal band I've ever come in contact yeah. with, considering most of the ones we listen to are like bloodbathing pig slaughter or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, OK, these probably aren't going to be on Smooth FM. Um, but secondly, um, the surprising part was, number one, Really heavy, really nasty. But then in comes number two, surprisingly melodic and really introspective. And they they include the melody in very interesting ways. Yes, they do. At times I was listening to this thinking, oh, these sound a little bit like Gajira. And then I was thinking, oh, I hear a little bit of hate breed here. And then I'm like, it goes into that, into the more desolate parts. And I'm thinking, oi, oi, holding absence. Yeah, and I'm like, this is all this is all the same band, and I'm I'm as 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 you know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a massive proprietor of of when bands are brave enough to blend stuff together because it's like you like we always say with horror films, it's the absence of it's the absence of fear uh, absence of, of 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 fear that makes the fear all the scarier, and I think here is is the same situation. It's the absence of heaviness heaviness that makes the eventual heaviness really kick your teeth in. Um, because when when they have when they have songs on this that are like really sort of mixing it up in terms of of what they're trying to do here, and then they follow it with like the really nasty shit. I'm well in. Like you have full cir- I think it's full circle in under a minute, and it slides between the two, and then it goes into with errors. Love that song. Which is yeah, which is my favourite tune on the album by far. 
um, because by that point, um, I'm I'm appropriately ready for it. It feels um, because the mix of the melody and the mix of because at first when the, when the first song when the first song came out and I, I it's I think the line is um, I'm not used to you being patient or I'm not used to you trying or waiting or something along those sort of lines and that was repeated a fair bit and I was like all right lads like let's let's transition it but um, but then when it did start doing that I found myself really impressed. Um, while while we see look at fit for an autopsy, we say you know the melody's not their strongest point. I can't actually decide what their strength here is, and I think that's a re- I mean that's a compliment um, because I think there are lots of things they do really well here. Um, they're not a stereotypical deathcore band. There's not like a lot of traditional breakdowns here. They experiment with tempo a lot, which I really like. Yeah. Um, they sort of slip occasionally. They'll they'll chuck in like a thirty-five second blast beat and then slip into this slow plodding groove, and I really enjoy that because I think sometimes bands can be a little bit formulaic in metal, and it, it's experimenting with tempo is really difficult, and, and I really appreciate that. Um, when this album's at its best, I think it's when it's combining the groove with the vocalists' cleaner efforts. And I think those two juxtapose each other really nicely. When I'm hearing him actually sing in this sort of, because he's like on, like on errors, he's got like a, a, an arcing, arching sort of melody that sort of seems to swoop in and out of the song. And I really like that rather than just being like, just being bombarded with the monotonal screaming. I think he's got a really nice soaring voice. Bit of Northlane here as well. Um, I was going to say too, um, like, the, the more recent Northline stuff, just a bit a little little bit more accessible. Um, I think this is I think this is really really good. These guys have surprised me because I I'd, I'll be honest, I thought I'd be hearing like knock loose light or something like that. Yeah, like it no, just it's a, not like just that. a just a hardcore like oh these will be with Loathe and nothing to disrespect like Loathe and those sort of bands. But I did anticipate a a one dimensional album and that's not what I got at all. And I'm happy to say I've been pleasantly surprised. I love how songs like Landslide Defeater come bursting straight out the ga- outside the gates. Like, when you switch screens, it's like I said, and then bang, that, like, lead riff kicks in. But then you've got songs like Trace Levels of Dystopia and Translational, which are much more ominous build, and, and the build-up to the to the main riff. And I think that there's a, there's a concoction of hardcore here which blends together, like, phenomenally well. Can't believe they're only a three-piece, by the way. And I, I, I know I, I say that quite often, like, oh, my God, can you believe they're a three-piece? But seriously, I can't believe these are a three-piece. Yeah, um, absolutely. Mentioned Will Putney on Fit for an Autopsy. Have to mention him here. I think this is a better-produced album than Fit for an Autopsy, actually, funnily enough. Um, uh, there, there's there's element, but I think because there's a lot more going on here, I suppose that is something that you, you, you might expect, really, because obviously Will Putney knows what he's doing and that there's more at play here so there's more for you to pick apart and say I, I, I like this more than this etc um but i am a big fan of every time i die so literally the second mind over mind comes on the second song on the album i mean 100 percent because that they have got that kind of um Every time I die, kicking the teeth with Keith Buckley's ability to swoop in and out of a melodic chorus that just gives you gives you a, a second's breath, and then the riff will kick back in again. That's pretty much the the blueprint that Norma Jean follow. But this is an album that 
has like a real interesting undertone in the sense of like the lyrical themes of the album um are, are really like interesting like i don't know how much you've like tried to look into the lyrics etc but it's a kind of like a depiction of like energy in action which is which is really kind of weird um but like they, they blend all this in together, like, into, like, a concept of the album, which tends to work, like, incredibly well. There's a real, like, fever and, and punch to this album that I, I don't think I've heard much elsewhere this year. And I, I'd be willing to say this is probably, like, the angry-sounding album that we've reviewed this year in terms of just, like, a vocal ferocity. But nothing that overbears the sound... This is yes. It's well is, balanced, isn't it? Yeah, this is a, a really brilliantly written hardcore album. This is that I am. Um, I, I I am all ha- I am all hands on deck with this. I think that when you write albums in, and you're still chucking out and you're still chucking out quality of this, I guess when you first listen to an uh, an album, and it's a band that you you're not really familiar on, what they what they need to do is for them for me to you and say. Yeah, I'll be checking out the back catalogue, and I can 100% say I'll be checking out Norma Jean's back catalogue after this album. Absolutely. Um, shout to the final song as well, which um, the Mirror and the Second Veil, uh, yeah. piano and acoustic guitar. Yeah. I'm well, I'm well in, I'm on that. That beautiful little heart. Nah, man. And the way that it built up from the previous one, where they're humming it out and clearly writing the tune, and I love shit like that. Love shit like that. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm really into that, and I, I was really, I was really impressed. This is like a musical hardcore boot camp. This is this is like forty minutes of real intensity, but there's a thematic idea to it. Um, it's not too reckless. Everything's tied together really neatly. This is a this is a really really exquisitely written hardcore album. This is that man. God, the last few months have just been so good in alternative music, and this just this is just another album to throw into the mix of just absolute gems that we've uh, discussed this year. Um, do you, because hardcore isn't always a, a, a genre that I would associate with you. Not that you dislike, it's just not something that we discuss so often. Mm. Do you see Norma Jean, this album being like kind of an album that you could stabilise as? If it sounds like this is a great chance, I'll be into it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's fair to say. Um, because this is, this is hardcore slash, isn't it? it it's not. Like my criticism of, of being hardcore is, is has always been the same thing. Is, is is if I can't tell the difference between track six and track one, then I'm not interested. As yeah, yeah no, I, I am I am interested to a point because because a certain mindset you can be in isn't there, and you can really gain to like oh, I want to listen to to some nasty music today, and I'll press play, and that's great. Um, but oh, man, I, I need some versatility, I, I, and I need I need I need I need to be more things to be happening personally, and the albums, and I think that stands the test of time. The albums that are incredibly successful are not usually straight up one tracked. They are versatile and and multifaceted and multi-genre. And there are a few exceptions, like someone snarky's gonna be like, "Yeah, but what about Green Day or ACDC or Slayer or the Ramones?" That's fine. Um, but they're like the band that found the the the, the template that everyone else has followed and. The, that's a little bit different, um, but I, in these circumstances, um, I like I like a mix. I like a mix, and I think Norma Jean have, have found 
I found that blend really nicely and I found that cocktail really made that cocktail really a sort of appealing to me as a listener because it is the, it is a lovely balance of tempo and style and riff and structure that I am really into. It keeps you on my toes and you can't say that a lot about pure hardcore bands all that often. What an album this is. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Really surprised. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely brilliant. I'm so into this. So that um, crowns off another hour, another episode of the Noise Podcast, mate. Um, we are going to be back in two weeks. At that point, we're going to be reviewing uh, Fever Three Three Three. We are going to see them next Saturday, mate. I'm thinking about that already, man. Um, and in terms of albums, I haven't actually decided what to throw your way yet. But no doubt, I'll find something that either winds you up or makes you fall in love. I'll try and <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try and blend those two things together if possible. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be back in two weeks' time. We are going to be talking about Fever Three 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 and another album that I throw Sam's way, or maybe two. Who knows? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will be back in two weeks. We love you. Bye. <laughs>